What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you're a new listener, my name is Luke, and my co-host and fiance is Yanka. We're both classical musicians, and we started this podcast as a way to keep ourselves growing, to learn new concepts, read more books, have interesting conversations. That's at least the good-sounding reason. Perhaps the more realistic reason is that it helps us stay sane with something to do as musicians during these weird coronavirus times. I'll let you decide on that, but if you are curious about the podcast concept and philosophy, you can read more about it over on our website, exploringkodawari.blog. Our guest for this episode was Dr. Justin Waller, who is a fantastic trombone player based in the southeastern United States and is currently serving as the lecturer of trombone at East Tennessee State University. Yanka and I both knew Justin well during grad school, and as a brass player, I can't even know how many concerts we've played together. We've also had lots of deep talks while carpooling to gigs together, so I'm just glad we were able to record one of them and catch up with him. We talked about adjusting to teaching online, the importance of having a purpose in life, musician injuries and the identity crisis that can cause, education philosophy, and lots of other stuff, including a deep appreciation for the lessons contained in Lord of the Rings. Justin also has a hilarious sense of humor uh, that I've missed, so it was really good to talk to him. Anyways, before getting to the conversation, I'll just remind you that the podcast and blog is and always will be free. So if you enjoy what we're doing, please consider making a small donation through the PayPal buttons on our website. It will help us sustain this project, keep setting aside time, um, and, you know, make it better and better. Links for that are in the episode notes. Or you can just enjoy the content and share it with some people who might like it. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you're having a good week and enjoy this episode with Justin Waller. All right. Doctor, Justin Waller, welcome to Exploring Kodawari. <laughs> Thank you for having me on Exploring Kodawari. I'm glad to That's be here. That's not my podcast persona at all. Don't worry, I'm not like, welcome to Exploring. Hey, everybody, guess we got a special guest today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Smash that like button. Um, so we just caught up a little bit, but, um, and I'll, I'll, I will have introduced you like with like general bio stuff in the introduction. So can you give a more personal introduction, who you are, what you've been up to over the past year? Maybe we'll get into the COVID stuff more specifically, but, you know, who are you? Who am I? Wow, that's a question <laughs> that as soon as I figure it out, I'll let you know. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, um, I'm the lecturer of trombone at East Tennessee State University. Um, I'm originally from the South, so it was kind of a homecoming to get this job, but I lived in beautiful Long Island for seven years before that, and yeah. then... Um, it's been an interesting couple of years. So, like, uh, what I've done in the past year, it's really more I've done in the past two years. And it sort of feels like... I don't know. I sort of set me aside and then picked the job up and then mm -hmm. wore it like a full-body lycra suit. And, uh -huh. <laughs> and just sort of lived in that. I mean, it, it's the sort of thing where, it, you know... It, Early on, it, I felt like the dog that caught the car. Like, you know, what do I do now? Yeah. But so then I, I got into this job and I, I learned more about what it really was. I mean, I had some kind of an idea because I worked as an adjunct before um, at another institution. And, you know, we we start our musical lives and we have all of these ideas about what it's going to be once we finally get to that place. And, the arrival, um, right? Yeah, right. The arrival. Yeah. It's like, okay, once finally when I get here, it's going to be, it's, I'm going to have made it and then I'll be okay. But 
what I think we realize once you actually get to that arrival point is that it's just, it's the first arrival point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like, okay, I'm here now. So now the, the game begins. It's a right? checkpoint, right? Exactly. You go, oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't see the level kept going. Like, Yeah. Yeah. And, and keep going. It does. Um, and it's, it's also funny too, about how like, um, your expectations for yourself change. And, um, you know, I made the, the joke about the full body Liker suit, but it's, it's, uh, your identity changes a little bit too, along with that, mm. you know, something that I, I don't know about you guys, but, um, as unhealthily as this is, this probably is, I've sort of always had the, the mindset that what I do is also who I am. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I hear that from a lot of people saying, you know, man, the, the key, the key to, you know, not losing it when you do this is to make sure that, you know, music is what you do, but it's not who you are. But yeah, mm-hmm. that has been, I, I don't know where you guys fall on that, but that's always been a real struggle for me. That's hard for musicians, I think, especially, right? On our mm-hmm. occupation, I think, to yeah. dissociate yourself, like disassociate yourself. If anything, I've, I've gotten better at that during COVID. Like, yeah, because I'm like, you know, I, I'm trying to keep up with a practice schedule, but, and half of my students just disappeared into the COVID ether, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where they are, what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who knows, man? I mean, um, it's, it's funny you mentioned that I had a similar experience, especially early on. Uh, okay. So I'll give you an idea about, about sort of what I've done the past two years. Um, yearly, you know, we have like everybody that works in academia will have this. It's like a, like a, some kind of fact, we call it like our faculty activity report where, you know, mm-hmm. you submit to the Dean and you, you write in your, uh, courses you taught and, and service and everything like that. And, um, so I did all that. This is after my first year going into the second year, which was this year that just completed. Um, yeah. You started was, in 2018. That was your first. That, yes, year. fall, okay, fall okay. 2018. Yeah, so I was I was looking at the the far, and then there was a part of it that uh, actually tallied the hours spent doing things. Okay. And so I I counted it up, and then I included practice time because you know that's that's part of it. You know, I have to practice or else. Yeah. How could I hope to function this job? And the number that came out. Average weekly was 73 hours. That's a lot of hours. <laughs> That's a lot of hours. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, stuff happens on weekends. Um, you know, and uh, another thing with a, a job like mine is that um, recruitment and studio building is a big part of it. So right. going on trips that take time to get there and then to interact with students and our perspective students and then come back it's a it's a huge investment that's tiring too right Mm -hmm. to do that recruitment stuff because you're you're almost feeling like wait i have to look out for my own future like by you know being a salesman almost you know yeah yeah Yeah. but you know it's 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 also not that it kind of it goes to the uh to like the idea of identity change right because it was like before i thought okay i play the trombone i teach but then now it's I feel like okay I'm responsible for this entity that is a studio, right, right. And so like it it feeds into where before just like you know practicing and and teaching the lessons is great and everything, um, and it was important. But now it's sort of transcended. 
Right. Mm-hmm. So you're Perfect. saying like you've had to adopt a whole bunch of new skills to yeah. make a studio actually function? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not just showing up and teaching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's but it's it's funny too because there's the part of the, uh, you know, you're building your own job security. That's that's part of it, but it's, it, it is more than that. So I think that's why those 73 hours a week did not seem like it was really 73 hours a week. Um, yeah. And that's always been the curse and blessing of being a musician, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we put in so much of the time just because we actually care about quality. Yeah, not of course. Because we're getting a monetary, you know, compensation for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are gigs that I could not practice for. I know I would get away with it. But some other voice inside me is just like, no, no, put in the time. It's going to take 20 more minutes, but learn learn those notes, even though it's a stupid gig. Um, whenever right, right. you're doing something, like, that's nice. I think that's a good quality. But it's also, how sustainable is that if, if, um, if, if how sustainable is 70 hours a week if you're not making, like, Wall Street money is what I'm Right, right, right. And, you know, the, the answer is not. And that's something that I think that I've learned um, over this, this quarantine period. So things, things went online in the spring and then suddenly there was all this time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. I was able to have the lessons that I taught and I mean, like, and I've, the studio has grown big studio. Uh, I think when I got here, there were, I want to say nine trombone players. And then this year we're looking at, 17 damn that's a lot yeah i mean especially coming from i've mostly went to small music situations where you know five was a lot you know right yeah and so yeah wow you have to teach all like an hour lesson to those people every week yeah i mean it depends people that are music minors uh sometimes they opt to sign up for a like a half hour lesson Mm -hmm. but I, i tend to um i tend to discourage that because I, you know, it's it's my own thing. It's like I don't feel like I could get a lot from a half hour lesson. So yeah, mm-hmm. you just get into it by the time it's ending, and yeah, then you're exactly. late mm-hmm. for the next one because you insist on five more minutes, and and then it's just stressful and weird. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. So I mean, that's that's the case. But then there's also you know there's a and this stuff, man. I I have to say this. What I'm saying is, is not complaining because I love doing this job so much. You know, there's the studio class, there's Tremone chamber music. And yeah. I mean, that's, that's all I do in this job. Like it's all trombone stuff. Yeah. And man, it's, yeah, it's pretty great. And the students are awesome. It's so it's, I, I love it. And I think that's kind of why those hours can melt away so quickly. But, uh, you know, there comes to a point where, um, you know, you're looking at your hairline in the mirror and it's like, wait, where's it all going? And, <laughs> and yeah. you're asking like, let's see, okay, I did I, let's see, it's 1 p.m. Did I, did I eat today? It's like that sort of thing, you know, it's like, but, but it's, it's, it's not easy. Um, I Let's just say I have not forgotten to eat during COVID at all. <laughs> no, yeah, I hear that, hear that. But, but yeah, so then suddenly it's like it, it COVID happens. And lessons go online. And like, you know, I, I try to be accommodating with student schedules. And so that, and also it's like, it's good to have a break between lessons as well. Yeah. So it's like my days are usually pretty long, but like when COVID hit uh, and it's all online, everything is just back to back to back. 
And, yeah. you know, it's asynchronous learning. So I usually spend like the first half hour watching their videos, listening to their recordings. And then we like conference after that. Right. Um, but so then suddenly I'm working a lot less time uh, in the day. And it was it was really strange. It was a really strange yeah. adjustment. And <clears throat> I miraculously maybe it was all that therapy i had that just kind of clicked into place but it was I waiting thought, for a quarantine to click <laughs> yeah, into place. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah that, that uh <laughs> i kind of kind of just went for it but uh so i uh i started doing things that i hadn't done in two years things like uh you know playing games mm-hmm. th- things that yeah yeah <laughs> I just banished out of my mind right um i started doing I started working out at home uh, three days a week, and then a, a colleague set me up with this CrossFit trainer. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So um, basically three, four times a week, you know, if you drive by a certain house on my block, you'll hear a grown man whimpering. Oh, God. <laughs> CrossFit's intense. It's really hard, yeah. It is, but it's also scalable. And the trainer, she is okay. this, um, yeah, incredible incredible uh coach and i just always see the crossfit people in the place i always drive by they're Mm -hmm. like doing like 20 pull-ups inside then running to the end of the block coming back 20 and i'm just like woof! i just went for a jog today like (laughs) (laughs) no yeah yeah. no no, i get it but it's it's funny like um everything scales back and then it's i once went with um one thing i'm really lucky about is like some of my colleagues here become like my best some of my best friends mm-hmm. and so like our tuba teacher uh she and and her wife took me with with them to their crossfit gym a few times in the past and uh something that the coach said because you know i'm just like a it's basically like a barn animal wandered into a gym and like just doesn't know <laughs> what to do that's like me so um that's like me going to yoga i'm just like oh i'm not oh, in yeah. <laughs> yeah oh yeah right yeah i hear you but <laughs> but so like there was one movement you guys know what a burpee is? Yeah. Um, I do. The, yeah, you mean right. like the mouthpiece holder? Like, oh, yeah. No, no. Oh, the <laughs> exercise yeah. burpee, you know? Okay. Yeah. Sorry, no, like <laughs> the, uh, the, the, what was probably used like during the Inquisition to torture people. Now it's an exercise <laughs> I technique. I do 100% agree on that. Yeah. Place. But so like this, this coach, um, he like, I, I was like, there's no way I can do this. And he's like, okay, well, just try this and do that. And then uh, I sort of somehow tripped over myself and fell down and then cried a little bit, but I got through the motion and he goes, see, look, there you go. He said, you went from, I can't to, I did. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, no wonder people do this. <laughs> and it was really affirming, you know, it's something to be like this at the end of the day, this like schlubby, tired, sweaty, miserable human being that maybe did like 6% of the exercise that everybody else did. But then for somebody who looks like, I don't know, like you could not even wash your clothes, but like scrub your pots on their abs. Like they walk up and they're like, hey, man, good job today. Yeah. yeah. Good job to me. Thank you. Yeah. It is inspiring, like that yeah. energy. And it, it's a momentum that builds, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We've gotten so much into uh, cold showers. Oh. And like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Wim Hof technique. It's like um, a certain, certain way of like deep breathing. And um, it's cold showers and also like ice baths. 
and you're oh sort of retraining your nervous system away from that fight or flight mode of being scared of things into that open posture, like facing the world. And we talked about this, like on a previous episode, I like whimpered like a little girl in the shower, <laughs> like Ooh! on the first one. And now I just like, yep, it's cold. That's okay though. And wow. we always have that voice inside of our heads as you're about to turn, you basically take a normal shower and end it with like a couple minutes of cold. Mm-hmm. And there's always that voice that goes, "No, nah, you could skip today." Yeah. And then this other voice that goes, "Like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna want to do that. You know, you're gonna start to bend into like less respect for yourself and all that." <laughs> mm-hmm. um, exercise has always been the same for me. When I am like on the fence, should I go for a run or not? Whenever I haven't, I kind of just get a little more, ugh, like less likely to do it ne- tomorrow. <laughs> you know. And yeah. whenever I do, you build up a momentum and you become so glad that you actually did it. Yeah, that's cool. That, Are you still going currently? Oh, I mean, no, like, the, why I do it at home? Oh, so it's okay. like, yeah, basically, the the coach writes out, yeah, I'm not going to go to a gym right now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> even though they're all open. I mean, um, oh. I'm pretty sure that we had like water parks open in May or something. So it's just like everything's open, and you know, cross your fingers. But um, yeah. it's uh, my coach basically she writes out um, all like all the month the months exercises in a Google Doc, and then we usually FaceTime once a week and. Nice. And then go over it and she'll show me the movements that all just seem like really easy when she does them. And, right. You know, then, yeah. <laughs> then when I do them, it's, it's a nightmare. But, um, you know, I'm glad actually Monday is a workout day. So I'm glad that we're, uh, doing this now because if you did it after the workout, um, <laughs> you would just be like talking to a tomato that could barely breathe. <laughs> but no, I get it. And I, and it's, it's a fight. It's like, I feel like, okay, I, I don't have to, I, maybe not today, maybe not today, you know, rest yeah. days are healthy. Maybe not, but then it's. Yeah. Rest days are healthy. I love yeah. the voice tries to <laughs> yeah. convince you with actual logic. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Off, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You've been, what, I don't know what workouts you've been doing, but she's been on this kick of getting up really early and just getting right to the workout. Yeah. 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 It's been much easier. I mean, it's much harder to skip when you do it that way. Yeah. It's like yeah. body weight. Pilates, like yeah. a little bit of hit type of, but yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I've right. never worked out steadily in my life up until this quarantine. So same. It's same been here. like three months, still going strong. So yeah, we should oh, be yeah. proud of ourselves. Probably. It's a yeah. Huge thing. I've yeah, been doing this absolutely. Chloe Ting ab workout. I don't know if you ever heard of that on YouTube. No. It's got like <laughs> nine million views, but but by the end of it, I'm just drenched. But oh yeah, I I always like do. You know what a foam roller is? Mm-hmm. Like those. So after I finish this, I roll out my back and lay down on the mat and just do a little bit of meditating. And there's just such a peaceful feeling after I know I'm not a piece of shit, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You then know, I can go become a piece of shit after it. <laughs> exactly. You know, there was a um I was in a I was in a gift shop at a was Grandfather Mountain, North Carolina. And it's beautiful if you ever go there. It's a wonderful view. But in the gift shop, there was a shirt. And uh, I just sort of paused and then read the shirt. It said, uh, tired feet, quiet mind. And I thought, that's true. I didn't buy this shirt because it was like a women's medium. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, you know, this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know where this is going. So, yeah, that wouldn't have worked. But I could have worn it maybe like as a, like a glove. I don't know. Anyway, you know, it didn't work. But so, like... um. <laughs> bathing suit <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah right exactly um but so that that phrase kind of resonated and that's sort of something i think that's been keeping me from just losing it is just getting myself tired to the point of exhaustion regularly 
Yeah, and then yeah. you don't have the energy to like get yeah. too nihilistic. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you're just tired out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. It's like, man, I want to be I want to be filled with existential dread, but I'm so tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah. I'll just fall asleep with Netflix instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you Depending go. on what Netflix show you're watching, you might just re-inject existential dread back in, but Could be. We've been watching Dark. Have you watched that show at all? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's all like you know, time travel loops and just like what is reality kind of stuff. So we oh, had to wow. take a little pause on it. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, I, I got into this weird kick and I, I can't explain. It's, it's probably really inappropriate. But so as far as books that I've read this quarantine, the first book that I read was Station Eleven, hmm. which is set in like a post virus, post apocalyptic, oh. <laughs> yeah, world. And then after that, I read Stephen King's The Stand. That oh. starts with a plague killing most of the population. And for some reason, I just felt it was a catharsis. And it's like, okay, I read these, you know, this this terrifying novel and I get an equilibrium. Yeah. Mm. I mean, in a sense, right? You almost, when you play the mental experiment or read a book that says, like, this is how bad it could be. Mm-hmm. You, two things happen. One, you go, okay, well, it's not that bad right now compared yeah. to that. And you also go... I've already kind of mapped out if it does get that bad, who would I be? How would I act? Like you kind of rehearse through that. Yeah. Um, in stoicism, they call it um, negative visualization. Like mm. you imagine your spouse dying and then you go, okay, that would be bad. How is that going to affect how I actually act today? Knowing that that's a possible branch of reality and, and in detail you imagine it so that, you're not just ignoring that fear. You've actually just looked right at it. You've kind of thought through the experiment and then you end up appreciating what's in front of you knowing that, okay, this person will die one day or whatever. Sorry, Yanka. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, this is the first I'm hearing about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, Luke's like, yeah, yeah Yanka, whole... <laughs> I think about what I would do if you died all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's the more detail you go into, the harder it is. But the point is... Um, how many things are in the mind that you look away from instead of looking directly at. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of helps you to have that kind of, you know, inner strength to be like, yep, that could happen. Cause obviously it could happen. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, so many things on like big scale <clears throat> society things are in my mind during this COVID stuff of like, Oh, okay. I kind of knew this already, but money is definitely made up. Like, mm. It's oh, just yeah, a weird yeah. tacit agreement we all have that it it's valuable and they just print trillions of it whenever. Like I don't I don't understand how that works, but um that's interesting to me. I see all the communication channels getting weird, so there's definitely that system-wide anxiety that's easy to have right now. Like I don't know where the snakes are coming from. They're coming from all directions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like every day I get to choose what's the thing I'm going to worry about now. Exactly, yeah. It's like, okay, on Wednesday, I worry about money. On Thursday, I worry about the virus itself. On Friday, I worry about what I would do if things get all Mad Max. Right, um, yeah. Should I go ahead and buy the the, the leather gear? Should I get the, <laughs> the mask? Yeah, you um, should buy leather gear, Justin. <laughs> you know, I think I might, you know, get like a, like, a, you know, what, what, what would you call that? I think you go into the store and say, I'm looking for something that says leather daddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, fair enough. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm looking for the, oh, what was his name? Tobias? 
No, no, I'm oh. talking about in Mad Max. Like, oh, I'm oh. looking for like, uh, give me the Immortan Joe, please, <laughs> or the um, I want to say his name was it like, was it Lord Humongous or something like that? Uh, I don't remember. One of the old ones, but yeah, the guy that um, wore like the top to bottom BDSM gear, but then he talked like this and was very reasonable. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'd like to think that would be me in a Mad Max scenario. Yeah, if if COVID gets really worse or there's some kind of a nationwide crisis, I'll I'll look for the that yeah, version of you. That's right. Look we'll for we'll the, bunker up together. The very soft spoken um, man with a trombone case on their with back. With a trombone case and bondage gear, that'd be me. <laughs> have you um, have you managed to keep up with practicing during this, or do you find like it's hit or miss? You know, at the beginning, it was kind of like with the exercise thing. It was like a vacation almost. It was like I have all this time and I just practiced and I played these long routines, just fundamentals and just like sort of luxuriated in it. And it was so awesome. And I was so happy and optimistic. And I, I would tell people, you know, this probably sounds wrong, but this is the best I've felt in a long time. I feel great. I'm so happy. But now the cracks have started to show. Yeah. And so then, like, uh, you know, I always have the trombone out on the stand. See it back there? There she is. Yeah, there she is. And then sometimes, like, I sit down, and an old teacher of mine once said, like, it's weird how sometimes, like, you have the, the, the trombone on the stand, and, and you look at it, and it looks back. <laughs> and so, then, like, now it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll look at it and and then think, uh, nope. Yeah. <laughs> you give it a solid seven-second reflection, and then you're like, not today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad thing, though. Uh, we were we just did. You remember John Thomas person? Oh yeah. We just did an episode with him, and he said he put this note up in his apartment as a sort of mantra. Um, it said, "Never pick up your horn without a purpose." Hmm. And I thought a lot of the practicing I was doing in early quarantine was just like guilt that I should get some time on my face playing. And I can't say I got better. I, hmm. I, don't, I don't know what happened, but I've kind of revamped it. I'm just playing really simple things or going through old pieces and I just stayed a purpose now like oh I just want to just play for right now and play this thing I'm not like you know because I was I, I don't know I, I did I never really had the motivation in quarantine to be like I'm getting back to fundamentals and it, I just that never found me you know I gotcha gotcha I, so I I've just been more um well, lazy with practicing let's let's put it in the <laughs> kindest way um Yanka, you've been on and off. On and off. She's got I she's waves. got like things to prepare for that helps. Um I don't know when I'll play next. Yeah. Um I think you know, she's she's starting. I don't know if we if um she got into New World, so she's gonna start that online so she'll have to do something, right? And they're gonna do performances from homes and things like that. I should be able to be in a playable like condition in a yeah. month right, coming right. up so i'm in the condition where if we wanted to play duets i would make it like two duets in and be like i need a break you know <laughs> oh yeah no i got you i got you <laughs> um yeah it's interesting different people have responded differently um i think the time off thing was really cool for musicians because we're used to just always being busy and not taking care of ourselves maybe mm-hmm. But then after a while, you go too far the other way. It's like, all I'm doing is taking care of myself. And like, this is messed up. I need something to do, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, um, you your self-care is in place, but you set aside your uh, your feeling of purpose. Yes, 
Yes. And that's, that's, I kind of feel like for me anyway, that's sort of the root of all sadness is like, why, if I feel like I'm without purpose, then that's yeah. the darkest I ever get. Why would you take care of yourself if it's not for anything? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. want to be a better, healthier person, exercise, all that, so that I can be a great teacher or so that I can, you know, do whatever you, you fill in after that. But when that, the so that part, <laughs> so that I can do whatever goes away, you just go, I, I remember thinking the thought experiment when I was younger, like, if I were just on a desert island and I knew I would never get off, you know, why, why would I care about doing anything, right? Because, like, yeah. I think we're wired as humans to care about being our best self so that mm -hmm. we can help other people. Right. And the idea is we all evolve to have that wiring so that we all keep each other up and we all work on ourselves so that we can, you know, serve others. What Even if you call it a job, you're still really serving other people by trying really? at it, by doing your 70 hours a week, even though you could be lazy with making, you know, music edits and, you know, getting parts out or whatever, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting equation, yeah. It is. I'm, I just felt the need to apologize in case you guys have heard, like, the, the world's loudest water bottle. So oh. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Anyway, it's all good. But I, you're, you, I, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you. And it's, uh, it's really difficult in the position that I'm at now because I feel... I mean, it's not, it's, it's a hundred percent pressure I put on myself, but it's like, you know, I have these students that I don't want them to despair. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know, I mean, they're adults, they're not kids. So they know that everybody that is in like a mentor role to them has got to be feeling the same thing they are. At least I hope they do. Yeah. But it's that sort of, um, I don't know. It's that tug of war where I want to be authentic and I want to be honest uh, emotionally yeah. you know and respect my students enough to be that way but also it's like i don't want to behave in a way that's going to contribute to them uh starting to despair and to get down yeah you don't want to add to the despair side of the equation if you can't help it yeah right but it's a tyro because if <laughs> i'm if i'm putting on this um you know let's look for the silver lining all the time they'll see right yeah. through it yes yes as so, will your own ego <laughs> yeah of course of course and you, the image in my mind of that kind of person who's like, oh, I'm just cheery all the time. Like, hee hee. It's yeah. like, what are they like when they close their front door after they get home? Do they just let out a big sigh of like, that was heavy to hold up all day? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Like yeah. The hell, yeah. You know, they, yeah. So I think there's, I don't know what the middle ground is. I think if we did, we would have solved, you know, the riddle of life. But I think you're right to call it a, a tension point. Like, it's mm -hmm. just hard to know exactly what to be in what situation i would say if you're around a three-year-old you should be more of that you know guard them from the the weight of mm -hmm. the world oh if sure you're around a 20 year old undergrad student you know if anything maybe they should hear more about like what's going on you know or feel mm -hmm. the i mean part of being a if you're even in music training right you want to emotionally trained students to realize like music my favorite part of music is how sad it can be because then when i hear that i realize like yeah sadness is a real emotion like mm -hmm. i don't think i learned how to feel sadness myself if i wouldn't if it weren't from music like that's where i first like heard oh this is what heartbreak sounds like you know listening to Mahler or something mm -hmm. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing. I think, um, I definitely wouldn't do that to middle school students, like be like, yeah. Oh man, you know, what a depressing, <laughs> do that whole routine. But yeah. Is your age range mostly undergrads for teaching? Oh, it's all undergrads. All undergrads? Yeah, okay. all undergrads, yeah. But, um, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. If you have a, a three-year-old, well, it's, it's it's easier then, though, right? Because they three-year-olds are idiots. They just believe whatever <laughs> you say. So you could say, everything's fine, and they would say, everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you say that to a 21-year-old, you know, and they're, they're I won't even say budding cynicism. I think I was pretty cynical when I was 21. So it was like the, the well-bloomed cynicism already there. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. sure, everything's fine. I can read the news. So then it's it's yeah, it's finding that balance. It's funny you say cynicism because I I've been thinking like the the different levels of life are all about like the cynicism gets dialed up and then you need a bigger like spiritual principle to shut that voice up mm -hmm. and be like yeah you're right cynical voice but here's the bigger picture yeah. and then you find a way to be cynical again and then you have to find that bigger picture constantly like you know because it, unless you want to become a cynical person which I would think. Maybe some people are aiming at that, but I would say um, it, it doesn't scale well. I don't <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I wonder if if cynicism is like a natural state, or if it's. It's funny you say if, if somebody's aiming towards cynicism. I think like who who just says, you know what? Today I'm going to get three steps closer to being a cynical <laughs> bastard. <laughs> well, the idea would be like maybe. It's not even conscious, right? Yeah, or it's like, like clouded. And I'm just a realist. I'm just a yeah. realist. You know, I'm not right, right, exactly. Hidden behind some sophistry of like mm -hmm. something that sounds positive. You know, like oh, I'm just right. telling the truth as it is, man. It's like mm -hmm. maybe you don't yeah. know the capital T truth if you're so zoomed into like the cynicism or whatever the right. thing is. Yeah, I mean, music for me is all about big picture stuff too. I think so much of music has shaped how I think like that, that sort of step back and see the big picture. That's what we do as musicians, right? We, we yeah, are embedded in the details and then we step back and see the big picture. Right. And I mean, emotionally speaking, you know, uh, like you mentioned sadness a minute ago. Uh, yeah. Sadness by itself is terrible, but sadness, if you look back at the entire spectrum of human emotion, then it has a kind of beauty, right? Because you see yep. the transition between yes. all the different emotions and that human experience wouldn't be the same without that. Yes. I mean, and, and philosophically, joy and happiness would have no meaning but for its opposition to sadness. Yeah, of course. Um, Jack Kornfield is this meditation teacher we love. Mm -hmm. um, and he always says, like, if you sit to meditate and the tears come, you should honor those tears. Like, I love the language of, like, don't hide from it, don't be scared of it, honor it. Like, it's part of you, you know? And then when you start to embrace it, things transform and, and you just have more wisdom to the whole sort of messy, you know, battered, dirty closet of <laughs> old stuff that is your mind and, you know, being a human and all that. Yeah, that's... That's really challenging, especially for more like, I don't know, American Western programming. Yeah. Like the idea of honoring tears, because, you know, I, I mean, the, the idea is that I experienced anyway, you know, a lot of stiff upper lip, stuff like that growing yeah. up, you know, like you, you said the old hilarious pull yourself up by the bootstraps thing at one point, but it's, yeah. it's yeah. Um, so it's really hard. It's really hard to do that. It's really hard to um, 
accept those negative emotions as part of a greater whole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially through the, especially with the idea of that the thing that is most important or that we're told to be most important is productivity and contribution and mm-hmm. achievement and moving forward. Because when you're programmed that way, I feel anyway, okay, it's like, how can I possibly achieve if I am honoring tears? Right. You know, achievers do not cry. Achievers persevere. And then that's right, exhausting. Right. I mean, you said earlier about um, viewing getting your job at this university as a checkpoint and then realizing like, wait a second, I haven't arrived, right? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. <laughs> the, the, the stiff upper lip, like, you know, just keep, keep, keep strong. And a lot of people actually think stoicism is about that. That philosophy is about like blocking emotions or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I'm reading into it um, right now, it's, it's mostly about deciding which emotions are work workable. Like which ones do you want to fester with and which ones will lead you where, like what story do you want to believe in? You know? <laughs> right. Right. And what you just said, like the stiff upper lip, lift up yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing yeah. is a story. And it's not a bad one because it works a lot of times, but it's mm-hmm. not the only story. You need to right. have also that that self-compassion and, and honor your tears kind of thing. Otherwise, they don't go away. They they, they find other ways to come out, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. And then like that well of determination and moving forward will eventually run out yep and then all that you're left with is the stored up sadness you never dealt with in the beginning right yeah that i think we we've always said me and yanka that some people seem to be more in touch with their sort of deeper down sadness and some people have built up a more permanent or you know some kind of blockade that that they Mm -hmm. just want to not acknowledge it some people have no choice but to be swimming in it like there's all these different layers but I've always felt since I was a young kid, I felt it. Like I felt that sense of like how delicate the whole thing is and how how easily hopelessness and all that could be a thing. Yeah. I mean, and, you yeah. can see the reality as the way it is. There's no way of not getting sad because like there are a lot of things that are real and are just really sad. Like you're that means you're just canceling some stuff out, I think, if you mm-hmm. yeah. can't really. Anyway. That's music. music. Again, just to reiterate, music is one of the things that helped me um, understand that dance of emotions in the head. Like, I don't know about you, but have you seen that picture of Mahler on his last trip from New York back to Vienna, like two months before he died or something? No, I haven't seen, I've never Um, seen that. That's, that's wild. So there's a photograph of him on the ship and, um, it, it was sort of right after he got his like diagnosis that you don't have long to live Mm -hmm. and you know, all the suffering that Mahler, um, was through with kids dying and his childhood and all of that stuff. So this picture just, it shows his face just like looking across the ship and it just, it's such a heavy face. It looks like the burden of humans, all of humanity's pain is on that face. And that's how I feel when I listen to moments in Mahler, you just go, Oh, that is too much. Like that is so honest. And I I see what he's gesturing at. I don't even know if I've, ever dived into it that that deeply but it's sort of like you know the the moment where you get goosebumps at the end of a Mahler symphony because he found a way to to overcome that level of darkness you know Um, absolutely but man those moments like can be so 
personally painful. Like when you, the, just the way he writes the texture of the music and the content, you're just like, Jesus, man, what were you going through? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the sort of thing where, um, you know, that old question, if you could have dinner with somebody living or dead, mm-hmm. like he's high up on the list. Yeah. Um, just to ask him, is, is this what you did in lieu of therapy? Is this what you did to <laughs> yeah. process? Um, yeah. It, and especially with, with Mahler, I, I, I really identify with the speed at which the emotions come and go. Mm-hmm. And so the anger will turn into like the most innocent sweetness, you know, or out of the anger transforms something else like, and the, the, the sort of suddenness that it changes, like as I've gotten more into meditation, I really feel my own emotions like transform at that rate sometimes, like anger will turn into gratitude, like at, at the drop of a dime. And it's just like a really weird experience. Like Mahler's music always does that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a book, um, it's the Norman Lebrecht book of musical anecdotes. Are you familiar with that book? It's the, I am not. You know, it's pretty interesting. And again, I, I I can't attest to the the veracity of the stories, but one of the stories was about Mahler. And it was something like that he was at home, and I think it was like that his father was beating his mother. And he left, was walking down the street, and came across a party where there was a Viennese waltz being played. Mm-hmm. And so then he had these two solid, this is like polar opposite experiences, right? Something right. that's incredibly painful, awful, just bottom of the human behavior barrel yeah. uh, situation juxtaposed against a light. A lovely waltz. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, um, uh, allegedly, according to the story that he, you know, that was a, a, a learning moment for him or something that affected the way he would later compose. I need to go back and look at that book. I probably just misquoted that, that the whole sounds, thing. That sounds like something I've heard before, though. Um, yeah. <laughs> and maybe I even heard it where he would hear, he would see, like, because I think he lived above a funeral home or something like that mm. at some mm. point. Something, whatever the, the, he would see, like, the coffins being carried while, like, gypsy band music was being played in the background or something so these juxtapositions were always there of like while one portion of humanity is in its like darkest hour some other thing down the road is just like you know like beanie's waltzing (laughs) right and you get to see the full spectrum of human emotion and about uh how much time it takes to snap your fingers yeah it's pretty wild um and that that's what makes i think his music so satisfying uh coupled with the fact that you know, if you're going to listen to a Mahler symphony, you better strap in. You're going to be there for a while. Yeah. And then at the end of it, it's, you know, you've you've had all of these rapid changes in emotion happening over the course of a really, really long journey. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like sitting down and reading all of the Lord of the Rings in one sitting, you know, like that sort of thing. This This massive undertaking. Right. And you do get that much information into your head because music can speak at a way faster rate than words right sure absolutely the absolutely. ideas get get right in there you, you don't have to sort of introduce a character and have them have dialogue and all that you just <laughs> hear a melody and you understand what the character is yeah you, absolutely you get it yeah it's, it's something like um sorry i just totally lost my train of thought 
that's that's cool. been happening a lot too. Maybe it's because I'm an old man now. You are. I, I did notice your hairline is no. Okay. <laughs> oh, dude, listen. This hairline, it's solid as a rock. Yeah. No, it's 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 uh, yeah yeah solid is in like the George a, Bluth the sense. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So I was gonna say solid is a damp pancake. It's not good. Um, but you know it's fine. It's fine. You know it's crazy. This is a real non sequitur. Um, I got uh, some blood work done. And everything uh-huh. is good, except it said I had a, a vitamin D insufficiency. Ooh. While I've been going outside every day. And so then I wonder, what, and my, my doctor's even like, yeah, your vitamin D in the winter is probably in the toilet. And I thought, okay, that's great. That's great. But I was reading about it. You know, I Googled, like, what happened, low vitamin D. And uh, one of the articles that came up just listed all the million possible symptoms. And one was... Uh, hair loss and i thought oh, interesting. oh boy now maybe it'll stop falling out but. <laughs> vitamin d <clears throat> as far as we've researched is also um, seems to be a could be a critical factor in whether you get covid severely or not um yep. th- there i forget the exact studies but um we, we started taking like 5,000 ius uh pretty regularly yeah yeah, yeah. I don't I'm know what an to... iu is <laughs> yeah, no yeah. Idea either. <laughs> sounds fancy IU. yeah it could mean nothing. It could just mean IU. They said, don't worry about it. They won't, won't look it yeah. up. It'll be okay. But so like, uh, I want to see something, something units, maybe. Intravenous units, maybe? Like maybe, an IV not, fluid? But you're not shooting it up. No. <laughs> like shooting. And maybe you are. Maybe you are. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no. So so for this, Maya, uh, I was prescribed uh, eight weeks, one day a week, I'm supposed to take, or I am taking 50,000 units of vitamin D. Yep. Yep. Nice. Those little, like, uh, you drink them, right? Though it's a pill. Oh, a pill? Yeah, it's a pill. Um, and it's uh, it was like a one pill a week. I was kind of expecting to have to swallow like a golf ball or something. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but then after that, it's 5,000 units. Uh, so eight weeks of 50,000 units once a week, then 5,000 units a day until, I guess, forever. Until forever, you, yeah. I mean, I think um, Americans' diets seem to make us more likely to be low on D. I mm-hmm. think... Um, I think, what, what was the statistic? How many percent of the population is low on D? Over 70, I guess. Yeah. But I, I, again, I'm no expert. And Especially then, from where I'm from. Like, we're so deficient yeah. in Turkey. Like, close to 95% of people, I guess. Yanka's was at a 7 when she was measured. Yeah. So she, her doctor also gave her those, like, things to chug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I, like, this was, like, years ago. But um, it really helped me. I mean, mostly, like, it really helped me with my mood, I guess. Because, like, yeah. you know, when you're not, getting that i guess like I, I don't know it really made a huge difference but maybe it was placebo i don't know it could no, be I, that but i felt the same thing mood wise like mm-hmm. i felt like my motivation was a little bit brighter when mm-hmm. when i started taking the d all the time guys i'm i'm really i am really banking on that <laughs> <laughs> today uh it's a, it is monday right i forget I think the so, day yeah. yeah okay good so yeah and today was i think week three of taking the fifty thousand units so i mean we'll see uh, i was told like you may notice something in a few weeks and I don't know. Otherwise, we'll the sun is definitely a way to get it, but... Um, you can never get enough from the sun, I guess. Yeah. That's why Dude, we're all deficient. Out in the sun every day. That's what has me kind of alarmed. Uh-huh. That, uh, and I was sort of negligent in getting this sort of work in the last... So the last time that I got blood drawn, I had low vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And they prescribed me some, and then I just stopped taking it. But that was, that was a while ago. So I then I wonder, you. like, have I been living... With low, with like a vitamin D insufficiency for years, could Probably. be. 
Probably. Just like so many people right now, yeah. 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 I mean, I think, I mean, from what I read, you know, how they always told us, like, oh, you don't want to be out in the sun, like, during these hours, like, the sun is, like, the most, like, dangerous, and then you should always wear sunscreen. I think people overdoing that, started overdoing that. This was, like, a thing mm. that I read. I'm not sure. Easy for you to say, I get burned like a lobster and <laughs> she I gets know. color. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, but right? over the course of some time, since we started avoiding sun as, like, the modern societies, I think oh, we you mean like deficient. zoomed out scale, like, yeah. Yeah, that's what I read up. I don't know. Like your nine to five office job, you know, is not the same as working in the village farm and then, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. going to bed at sun sunset. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. True. I'm wondering now, does sunscreen prohibit your absorption? I think vitamin? it does a little bit, but I'm so, not, yeah. I'm not sure if it only blocks UV or does it mess with that, that deproduction process? I, mean, I definitely don't know. I mean, for sure wear it, but then. Then you're like, wait, skin cancer yeah, or exactly. happiness? Like. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's the thing. It's like I, I have the complexion that I could probably get melanoma from a particularly bright flashlight. I mean, I'm just so, so whitey, whitish pink. It's bad. Yeah. So when I go out for a walk or a jog or something, man, I mean, I have the spray sunscreen and it's like somebody coming in for decom uh, decontamination after they've been on an alien planet just spraying yeah. it. Yeah. So and, and sometimes I still come back and I feel like, am I a little red now? And that could affect. I, I I could I could see it affecting it, but I I don't know. I'll, I'll look it up. Um, I should look up. I have no idea. But either way, even if you weren't wearing any sunscreen, I bet you would still need some some supplemental yeah. D. Yeah. 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 So I mean, that's you know, and I, and I take a multivitamin anyway, but apparently that's just not cutting it. Mm. Another thing that that she mentioned, um, you, you talked about like vitamin D and and its effect on COVID. I actually just saw that article come up today, but apparently I think zinc has something to do with it too. Mm. Oh. She mentioned that, that, that she'd read that, but I don't know, this, that's, that is probably, um, the most frustrating and disparaging thing about the current situation is that just, we just know so little. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And the, and the bits that we do know seem to get lost in the noise. So the signal is just like, whoa, we have no national narrative right now of like, our, our we couldn't seem to come together against the virus <laughs> yeah, yeah we found a way to make masks Definitely. political like, didn't happen in america for sure. <laughs> yeah and her where she comes from and of course so many things are different but yeah. they seem to just kind of nationally come together like let's beat this thing because this sucks for everyone it's like let's protect each other like it's more like that let's what do you protect mean, each the other? elderly no. you know yeah. like we have those motivations i don't know what about my boots and my straps <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean you know there's that strong um the, those like that American individualism. It's like mm -hmm. I am an individual and I will make my own decisions. And uh, and I think a resistance um, to being told what to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's an overcompensation for something that is a good value, right? Mm -hmm. To yeah. think of yeah. yourself and others as individuals and and not be tempted to put them into a box of whatever group you might categorize them as. Mm -hmm. But you also are in a group called society that has to work together. And you're not going to, you know, your self-sufficient farm with your shotguns will only last so long if the whole other stuff is gone. <laughs> Fair point. You so know. what you're saying is I shouldn't like put a flag out front and have like Justin Tania. Yeah, yeah, not name. yet. Yeah, Although okay, if, if you do it in Seattle, you can get away with it for a while. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm topical humor. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so... um I don't know. 
Another thing I've done is because uh, I live alone, mm-hmm. and I've got a downstairs neighbor who's awesome, and we hang out sometimes. But it's still not nearly as much interaction. So I've uh, I've decided that I've started putting uh, a tie and jacket on my vacuum cleaner and having <laughs> conversations with that. <laughs> Can I see and, a picture of of is uh, the, the I, name? I know, really yeah. like the idea though. I was like, I should try yeah. it so I can have a conversation with someone else. Oh. <laughs> I could dress up as a vacuum if that helps. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Actually, early on, uh, our tuba teacher, my friend Stephanie, I printed off a picture of her face and taped it on the vacuum cleaner with a tie jacket and <laughs> sent it to her. Yeah. Uh, she was. She thought it was funny, but I think more than anything else, she was concerned, and with good reason. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, vacuum, another glass of wine. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just, like, throwing it on her picture. Uh, yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, it's, it's interesting. How do you guys feel... No, I'm going to ask the questions. How do you guys feel about, uh, you know, the ways that we we can sort of maintain human interaction by digital means? Yeah. Um, how do you guys, have you been responding to it as a substitution? Do you feel like that it's been anywhere close to adequate or do you feel like it's, it's not checking the box? For teaching, I found it's not close to adequate. Oh, sure. Um, and and certainly for music teaching, so that's a whole other thing of being able to trade sounds back and forth and really hear what they make or them to really hear what you make. But even just personally, like when I FaceTime or Zoom or whatever with friends, it's not not the same at all. You know, mm. I mean, imagine if we were sitting at the same table. Oh yeah, we would get way more information socially. And some of that information might be like systems in our brain that need to play with others, you know? Yeah, right. Just like dogs need other dogs to play with, you know? Not videos of dogs. Yeah. It's certainly better than nothing. Definitely. Because, I mean, I haven't seen my family in probably close to two years. Like, I haven't been home since 2018. And, um, I mean, it checks that box for me, for sure. Because, like, it's better than nothing. But, sure. of course, it's not the same. Like, yeah. the, you can't just have the same type of humor going on. Like, there's always, like, the subtlety. Awkward, like, you can't yeah. read body language <clears throat> and stuff. Or yeah. just, like, in real life, the, the, the subtle ways you interrupt someone to add something in, but don't mess with whatever they're saying. With the online thing, sometimes it feels like walkie-talkie land where it's like, all right, over. And then, yeah. they, you know, <laughs> How are you doing today, over? Yeah. Pretty good, over. Yeah. You know, I'm you don't bad. have to say, the, the thing does it oh. for you. <laughs> oh, sorry. I wanted it to be authentic, so I, I put in the... <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And then, um, it's funny how it's changed even a few months. Like, going to the grocery store at the beginning of this, I felt like I was a Navy SEAL. <laughs> It's like, yeah. I'm going to mask up. I'm going to go in. I have the locations marked for what I need. I'm going to get yeah. in and get out. That's awesome. Are you tapping uh, our, our, our our grocery store experience? Like, that was totally us in the beginning. We were just yeah. like, all right, I caught, loaded up my hand sanitizer in my right holster, you know. Got mm-hmm. oh, absolutely, yeah. You go get your stuff and you come back. Man, I was like, I was like Lysoling things that were in packages and then washing okay. my hands. That's where we started. I was washing cardboards. Since yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When the, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Like when they were saying that it could live on cardboard for up to so many days. I know. It's like, <laughs> dude, that you should really think before you tell, tell that to a bunch of people that will take you seriously. Yes. Yeah. Now they're saying that might not be the case. Like it's mostly you'll get it from the air. Not so much, you know, touching stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. But man, we, we, we are less crazy now. I mean, we heard worse things. Someone said, like, shoot it up in your veins, like Lysol and stuff. The oh, president, right, yeah, 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 of this country. I don't think he quite said that. That that was what's so funny is like he, <laughs> he kind of hinted it, like he joked. He but, just like, mouth babbled, and then they found. Yeah, anyways, he mouth babbled a lot. Of things. Anyway, <laughs> definitely, we went crazier in the beginning with the grocery stuff. Mm-hmm. But even now, like, I brought home a bottle of whiskey yesterday, and I just thought. What's the harm? Like, so I just quick washed it with my sponge before I, you know, put it into the the category of things that are, are COVID free mm-hmm. for sure. Because I always did this thought experiment with Yanka. I'm like, what if some genie would come to you on your deathbed when you have COVID and say, you want to know how you got it? And you're like, lay it on me, genie. And they're like, that. remember that time you were about to wash the whiskey bottle and then you didn't and you touched <laughs> and then you, you know, scratch your eye or something? That was oh, yeah. it. That was it. That was <laughs> so it. So if you always think this is the it moment the genie in the future will point to and how you you know messed up, then you'll at least be vigilant enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And, and then it, at one point they talked about how you could possibly get it if you pet someone's dog. Right. Yeah. I love petting dogs out in public. Yeah. So then now every time I see a dog, I just shriek and run in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. Like I just look at them and just feel weird about it, which is sad. I know dogs, golden retrievers, you know, you pass one on the beach and it comes up to you like, hello. And like, I want to say hi. And you're like, no, COVID. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather get COVID and say hi to all the dogs I see. Uh, Fair enough. Now, that's that's interesting. So have you guys had any moments where um, uh, COVID anxiety fatigue has just hits you and you're like, I just don't care. Just I just want to be around a person. Oh, that was oh, like yeah, yeah. four days in for me. I'm like, I can't take this anymore. Just like inject me with the virus, like enough. Yeah, just we, because of like, uh, not necessarily I was socially deprived. It's more like this is too much anxiety. There's so much unknown. I cannot handle this type of. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, just out. whatever. Yeah. I, I'm just going to go roll around in the middle of a crowd at a, mm-hmm. at a you know, and just, just hope for the, the worst. We've then, been we've been luckier, I think, because our downstairs neighbors are also like our really good friends. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so we yeah. kind of like quarantined together. We were like, "Hey, you're you're not idiots, right? You're gonna generally wash your hands and not go to raves and stuff." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, we did get a, a fair bit of normalcy in terms of socializing, but at some point, I'm still being careful with my parents. Like we hang out outside. I don't know what the hell I'm carrying, right? Yeah. As as New York's numbers get better and better, I think we can, you know, know that the chances of randomly getting it at the grocery store are way lower. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those type one, type two error things, you know. If you just assume that you have it, it's certainly safer than assuming you don't have it. And yeah, so it just depends on how much inconvenience you're willing to do. Um Yeah, I mean, have you have you done any in person hanging outs or do you do like outside hanging outs or how have you figured that out well i have a downstairs same thing as you guys i have a downstairs neighbor that i'm good friends with and and we've hung out like on the porch and stuff like that and yeah and and, and both of them working at home and both um especially early we're really really careful about avoiding contact but yeah uh it's it's the sort of thing where i mean man i just it's almost like your standards start to slip Totally. You think, okay, it's like, I'm not going anywhere. It's like, okay, I'll go one place with somebody that I know that has been social distancing, and I will hang out with them on their porch six feet away. We'll both wear masks. 
And then it's like, okay, I'll hang out with somebody who's in social distancing on their porch and but no not mask. wear masks. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually it's like, I will sit in the lap of my friend for three yeah. hours while making intense eye contact <laughs> because I am so lonely. Please help. And, and so it's funny too. Um, I, I sort of act very extroverted, but I mean, really, it's like my batteries recharge with alone time. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm cool with the with being by myself for a while, and then and like I said, only recently the cracks have started to show. Yeah, where it, it's I found myself like in the checkout line at the grocery store for the times that I, I don't do self checkout, which is most of the time, but just like see the person on the other side of the plexiglass. And I'll just want to talk to them for as long as I possibly can. Right. <laughs> like, so what do you, you, you like, what's your favorite winter Olympic sport? <laughs> you like, uh, I just, you know, whatever. Yeah. Pretty good brand of milk, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I used to get sweetened almond milk, but I wanted to save on the calories. What do you think about almond milk? And, and then they look at me like, just get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this COVID stuff about being quarantined and if you are hanging out with people, having to stay six feet away, not hug and mm-hmm. shake hands. And I mean, it's all very anti what, what feels right, you know, and definitely it's hard to sustain. Um, you know, I've been far from perfect, but I would say I set my standard strongly at the, like, be aware of my hands. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we have only eaten at restaurants when we're outside, like they set up, you know, so much outdoor seating. Yeah, technically we would be safer to not do that, but we kind of, after being good and making our homemade meals for like three months, we were like, all right, we're ready to just like go out and not, you know. Well, it's been five months. We can be in our, three months. Huh? Yeah. It's been like five months. Oh, see? There you go. Three months. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. to August it's like already. Half a year almost. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oh man, sorry to break the bad news. Yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> I'm still in May, yeah, like. Yeah, I was oh, actually my talking time like it's May. Yeah. Since May. March, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. My oh, bad. I'm gonna throw up now. That is just <laughs> awful. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can count on one hand like the meals that I've eaten that I've not prepared myself. Yeah, yeah. Five months. Yeah. I mean, we did takeout at some point in the beginning. Like you would get a pizza, but then like we would open the pizza and then be like, "All right, wash your hands before you touch the," you know. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, technically that's safer. I don't know. Maybe it's stupid if if the data came in and it says like, you know, of course there's no corona on a pizza box, you fool. That's not how virology works or whatever. But no, sure. I'm just going to assume there is, you know? Yeah. My parents would microwave their food until like it's burned. <laughs> they, would <think. laughs> they would just feel better about themselves. Like, I, I mean, I will say my mom. Well, we, my I mean, everybody finds their own routines. Your mom exactly. found a pretty strong one, I think. Oh, yeah. We have like our takeout routine where like one of us will s- set up all the stuff on the coffee table and open up all the lids. And then it's like, all right, now we hazmat the hands and don't touch the stuff anymore. Um, I touched a hot sauce yesterday. Oh my god, we've got COVID now. That's there you go. That's it. You blew it. But that's the genie moment. He's going to come back and tell you that's when you got COVID. Um, How would you say, just to change topics here, if you were um, comparing your teaching that you used to do, which is more like what we are doing now—high school, middle school age—how how did you have to adjust your approach to, you know, teaching either more advanced students or just older human beings? Well, I definitely swear a lot more. Yeah, um, that's no, good. no, no, I'm just kidding. No, it's 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 sort of funny. It's like I think that all teaching is sort of on this spectrum. 
between like uh, like your the younger the student, the more of a shepherd you are, and as they get older, things become uh, more collegial, right? And you become sort of like a guide. So somewhere yeah. along that spectrum, I mean, so like I can remember being as a graduate student, I was treated more like a colleague that was being helped than a student. Yeah. Um, but from where a lot of my students are coming from, you know, I I teach in a pretty rural area. And so a lot of them, uh, I won't say a lot, some of the students, their uh, only experience with music has been their high school band. Right. And uh, it's, uh, there's, I feel uh, on the one hand, like a compulsion to just like, okay, we got to, you got to learn about all this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And, and even though like a lot of my students, like they want to be band directors in turn. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's beneficial for them to know the things about orchestral music, but it's, you it's could argue that it's not critical. requisite. Yeah. yeah. Um, but generally speaking, it's a balance. I mean, and, and, you know, there are some students that maybe they've never had private lessons before and they're coming to college. So, it, man, it kind of changes from student to student. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, the, I think, the, the most important quality in a teacher is to be adaptable to the different types of oh. students you're going to encounter. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. But yeah. I'm lucky in that their experience really mirrors my own because I'm from a rural community and I had never, I'd never heard an orchestra until I was 19 or 18 or something. I think maybe yeah. eight, 18, like freshman semester in college. So I mean, it's the first semester, but so, so I get it. And I feel like, I feel like I can adapt, but I'm always concerned. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because like the, the amount of, there's a lot of distance between, you know, teenage me and, the rapidly approaching middle age me. Yeah. That uh that I, I, I just hope I can still get in touch. You mean a lot so of distance in your hairline and how it's <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Um absolutely. You have a lot of distance in hairline. Yeah. You've been mentioning my hairline a lot today and I just want you <laughs> Sorry, to Sorry, you that, brought it up in the beginning, so Well look, listen. You bring me on your podcast and you start bullying me. Yeah. Um but This no, is how uh, I get over my corona anxiety. I invite people on podcasts just to bully them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it works. I support it. Bully away. Um But the you know, the biggest thing I would say is that the students that I have now, uh, they are regardless of the experiences they've had pre college, they possess a level of self direction. Mm that is not there. And I was in a very similar situation where you guys were teaching younger students. And uh, it's almost like in that position, you have to really, really, really uh, foster is not even an appropriate word. You have to engineer a sense of self-direction. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And it's hiring to to bring that energy and then to have it thrown back in your face. Like I did nothing with all the energy you brought, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's a bummer. And I mean, like, at least now, like, if a student comes to a lesson and they haven't practiced, they at least feel sad about it. <laughs> so right. that helps. Yeah. There's yeah. some guilt involved that you're like, all right, I'll yeah. get over this. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to like, oh, uh, so did you work on what we talked about last week? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite is the blank stare. Yeah. The sort of like, and you're like, okay, I'm going to assume that's a no. Did you print it out? Um. Well, uh, we went to grandma's last week, so um, I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, what, what does the grandma story have to do with you not printing out and practicing the thing I gave you? And mm-hmm. 
I find more than <laughs> too often I'm kind of coaching them that if they want to lie to me, here's a better way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Well, so you're teaching them all kinds of skills, not just yeah, exactly. the ones that are, yeah, yeah. That's good. I'm not just a music teacher. Real I'm a life educator. teacher. Yes. <laughs> what would you say is your philosophy of education? Like an, on a zoomed out way, have you thought, do you have one or have you thought about like my main mission is this and like everything else is kind of fitting inside of that? Yeah. My, my main philosophy on education or like being somebody that is an educator is I want to meet a student where they are and help them get where they want to go. Mm. And that's, this is, sounds very simple, but the idea is like, I want to be adaptable and I want to learn how each student learns and try to meet them with their particular learning style. Yeah. You know, um, every student is different. Some students are motivated by being very firm. Some are motivated by being um, very kind and supportive. Some students like a lot to do. Some students like to focus intently on one thing. So I sort of feel like if you can get to that point as a teacher where you find where the student is and how they learn, that's half the battle. Yeah. And then the, yeah. And then getting them where they want to go is more, um, more a, a thing for me because there's a part of me that like wants every student I have to want to be a professional trombone player. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have to accept that that's just not true. And not only is it not true, it's pro- it shouldn't be true, right? Mm. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think I wrote somewhere in my um, notes of questions here, like, is there, is there, what, what would be your best argument why you should become, you know, a, a performing musician like a trombone player? And what would be your best argument of why someone shouldn't become that? Well, I, I I have a stolen quote from um, Brad Palmer, who is um, my undergrad teacher. He, he would say to people, like, if you can see yourself doing anything else, mm-hmm. do that. Right. So, like, uh, actually, I just had a student recently um, who is music education, and they asked me, um, I'll pull up the email conversation. They asked... Um, about switching to performance. And so then I, I gave them different scenarios. I said, uh, okay, so I want you to visualize what a successful career looks like. So how many of the following questions would you check off as a yes to or statements? Mm-hmm. Um, qualified as success, full-time position in a major symphony orchestra, full-time position in a military band, uh, not like a non DC band. Yeah, yeah. F- yeah, full-time college teaching position, a working freelancer in a major city, uh, playing in regional orchestras and teaching a pre-college private studio, and a mix of different kinds of freelancing and private teaching, possibly supplemented with either another freelance skill set or even a day job. With the idea being that if you can look at yourself hypothetically having a career in all of those situations and you consider that successful, then go for it. Yeah. But if you say, you know what, if I'm not playing in the Philharmonic, then it's just, I, I will have failed. Right. And I'd say you, then you really don't want to study music performance. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. It's weird because it, when we're younger, those, those sort of um, very 
ideal, hopeful, like possibilities are part of what motivates the the sort of dreamlike version of it in your head. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you remember Wes Miller, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember he came. He was staying at my house when he was finishing his doctorate, and he had to do one more recital. So he came up from Texas, mm-hmm. and I was preparing for my master's recital that week. He was there, and whatever I was like playing through something in the kitchen or whatever. And his advice as he was walking by, he's just like, you know, you're 27 now. He's like, you've already made it past that point where most people quit. Like, because I feel like somewhere in the twenties, you have to transform that ideal. Like I'm going to definitely succeed and play in the New York Philharmonic or whatever Mm -hmm. and say, well, am I still into this? If that's not the case, you know, and so that's a big cutoff point for people when they realize that it's not bad to dream big, but it's also <laughs> can be if you don't have a realistic um, sort of balancing act to that. You know, I hate being that person to say, you know, the the dream big thing is is bad, but I like how you just laid it out. It's like, here are all the options. I don't know any other options that aren't <laughs> one of these versions, right? Yeah. Um, there are all of them are success. All of them are successful by someone's standards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I would argue the fact of the matter is like if you can blow air through an expensive pipe or drag horsehair across metal and someone pay you to do it and you be able to live indoors, mm-hmm. then you've succeeded. Yes, that's true. Yeah. That's yes. Cool. Or and, and even more zoomed out mu- music and musician is one thing, but as a zoomed out idea of like what an artist is, you know, whether you're mainly teaching or mainly performing, um, an artist is sort of like that category of human endeavor that needs to exist because it will always do and say the things that other places in that make up human society aren't, you know, Mm -hmm. it has a unique way of telling the truth, you know, think about Shostakovich and writing music in a totalitarian, like there's always ways that truth-telling happens by being an artist, you know? And I think when you realize that's your larger mission, it doesn't matter if you get the the job that pays the best or has the best status. It's more about, am I connecting with that mission of being an artist, like trying to speak truth and express truth through whatever medium I have, something like that. Absolutely. Sounds Absolutely. better coming out of my mouth. I don't think if, <laughs> I wonder how much my soul <laughs> believes it. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. As rent is due. You know, right, like. right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's kind of like the, the perpetual challenge. And, you know, the the last thing I would ever want to do is to tell someone yes or no. Right. If they say, I want to become a professional musician. I, I mean, that's not my decision to make. So... What I would like to say is, okay, this is what you want to do. Are you willing to do this and 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 and meet these standards Mm -hmm. by any means necessary? Mm -hmm. If you're willing to do that, then yeah, go for it. Right. But it's it's sort of striking that balance because you don't want to crush anybody's dreams. But I sort of feel like you have to, you know, if their dream is this, the top of this mountain, like you have to show them like, Okay, so you're gonna build, uh, you're gonna build stairs to the top of that mountain. Step mm-hmm. one is this. It's gonna take you this long. Step two yeah. is this. It's gonna take you this long. Cost you this much effort. Here's some things you are maybe gonna have to set aside while you build this step and the stairs, yeah. and then just lay it out for them like that. And 
and they have to know a storm might come along and destroy some of the stair progress they've made. You know, yeah. like a playing yeah. injury or something, right? Exactly. Yeah. You it, do I remember correctly? You've had you had like a playing injury and in, uh, when you were trying to finish your doctorate. It was when I just started it. I just oh, finished okay. the masters and um, say first year. Yeah, first year DMA maybe. Um, I got uh, an infection in the back tooth, and I had this um, just gross abscess. Just disgusting. I'm going to talk about it in detail now. If you know, if you're listening, <laughs> we'll put a picture in the episode notes. If oh you yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got them. No, so it's like it was this extremely painful, and uh, that was the first time in my life I'd ever tried. Um, this is Percocet they gave me, and it's just like that was the week that wasn't there. Yeah. So I mean that was brutal. But so I think I want to get this right. Over the course of eight weeks, I think I went to the dentist nine times or something like that. It was always there a lot, um, and which made up for all the non-dentist visits the in the years prior, right? That exactly, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, it was great. I had TA insurance. It was awesome. But so um, then uh, I went through that, and then. It was so awful that I was just overwhelmed with eagerness to get back. Mm. And then I came back, and then I was going to do a recital, and I just practiced really hard, and I rehearsed the pianist the night before, just really beat it, just rehearsed a long time, went real hard. And the next day, I went to go play, and it was like a note just wouldn't come out. It was just... Yeah. <laughs> It was, yeah, that was an accurate representation, as accurate representation I can make. It was, yeah. you know, uh, notes well within, like, just barely above the staff just weren't there. And so then, that's really when the the existential moment hit. Mm. Where, I mean, before it was like, okay, this two things going to be fixed and I'll be fine. I'll go back to doing what I've always done. And then at that point, I was, I, I was at the place where I thought, okay, um, I may never play again. Yeah, I think that's um, the uh, the hard crossroad for musicians to to confront with injury stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's something that you you think about like what a what a tragic situation it really would be. I mean, it's like you know, start playing music or working towards this when you're. I mean, in my case, I was like eleven is when I joined the band. Yeah. Um, although I joined it because I was a little fat kid, and if you did the band, you wouldn't have to do a PE class. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's a that's a great start, you know. Um, but you start so young, and then you invest all this time and all this effort and all this money, and then you got to do something else now. Yeah. Like that's really it's it's really really intense. Um, Would you say you solved that? that puzzle in your head in the unknown of whether you would be playing again, did you like come to peace with it or did you just say, uh, let me, let me put that aside until I figure out if I'm playing again. Yeah. It, it ultimately it was, it was the latter. It's like, let me just for right now, I'm going to just recover. Yeah. And I was extremely lucky to be at an institution where Everyone was supportive of that. Yeah, that's important because mm -hmm. there's the opposite type of institution, especially in the brass world. There seems to be a, a sort of um, macho-ness of like, you can't admit that you're injured. It's like, why are we being macho about the tiny it's muscles in our lips? Yeah. Like, Yeah, right. They, and we're putting them under lots of pressure and, and vibration all day. Like, of course, injuries are possible. 
maybe I got injured because I play incorrectly, but that also doesn't make it a bad thing. Um, There's a lot of stigma around injury, even in the Mm -hmm. violin world, right? Oh, yeah. No one talks about it at all. I think you you weren't around or I forget, but she had an injury a couple years ago and she ended up having to get... Around the same time, actually. First year of my DMA. Same situation. Yeah, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Like, hands not working. Like, my nerve... I got a nerve injury, so, like, I basically was losing the use of my fingers, which was just really weird. I I mean, not entirely, but if I was playing a recital for an hour, like, towards the end, it was barely there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I also got a lot of support from everybody. So I'm really glad that that was the case. I I remember us having some conversations, though, because she was going through that, all right, this is... I'm at a risky enough spot where I need to do the surgery because if I don't, I've seen my hand atrophy over the year. Mm-hmm. But there's no guarantee from that. In fact, you could come back to playing after the surgery and it's even worse and never gets better. Yeah. That was a possibility. And I think we kind of played the game, like just tried to say, okay, in a zoomed out way, yes, our identities, to bring it back to what you said in the beginning, our identities are as musicians who have put so many lonely hours of practicing and studying and stuff. But there is still a bigger picture. Like I'm actually a human being who is a musician who plays the trombone, you know, yeah. in that order. Yeah. We, we think of ourselves yeah. as trumpet players. I'm a violinist. I'm a- Forget that. Like that's part of your identity. That's all you are. It's not right, all. Right. Yeah. It's not actually, yeah. but it's just, that's how it you feels see like it. that. Yeah. Though. Like, have you ever heard people, and they don't mean it this way, but like if they say, um, what instrument do you play? And they say like, oh, I'm a trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Students do that yeah. all the time. I'm like, yeah, yeah. you're an actual trumpet? Yeah. I am a trumpet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. It's like, oh, you saved time not saying the word player at the end of mm-hmm. that. Congratulations. No, yeah. And it, I, I kind of think that we, at some points in our development, we get to that place because we feel that weight of the expectation and the the just slim chance of success and everything else is intimidating about it. And we kind of like, okay, I have to be that point. I have to become, become the trumpet. Right. 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 <laughs> oh God, that sounds scary. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Would you say yours was more psychological or was it actually something physically like, you know, got injured in the lip or both maybe? It was both. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, I've seen way worse injuries than I had, but for me it was, you know, it was equivalent of like, I needed what you give a dog, like the cone of shame, whatever that keeps him from chewing on their injured leg. Like I needed one of those, like, uh, to not play and make it worse. Right. Like it was, Some it, other voice in you were like, maybe, maybe it'll be solved if I just play today and it'll yeah. be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it always the case though? That's exactly what happened to me. Someone should have just stopped me in. I was just like, eh, it's okay. Yeah. Like it always hurts. Like it's normal. And then, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, weird. Oh, oh, it always hurts. And so then you yeah, had just, uh, Yep. So, I mean, like, valuable lesson learned, you know, don't take eight weeks off the horn and then try to play a really difficult recital. I mean, in in retrospect, it's like, how stupid. But it's like, I guess I thought that I was, you know, Iron Man, that I'll be fine. You thought like, oh, yeah, of course, I'll need time to get back into shape. But, you know, I know how to play. After I do this recital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can knock. It'll be fine. But then, no. And it was one of those, um, I was really lucky uh, in grad school because I had, um, you know, I'm, I've been trying to avoid names of people for, I don't know why I just felt like that's something you do when you're talking about other people, you wear the names, okay, but I'm going to drop saying. names. <laughs> so, uh, I have to say, so Dr. Joanne Rosen at Stony Brook was my therapist mm-hmm. and, 
that was the most incredible period of growth in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And um, did you her, start it, it during that injury period? It was, it was before that. Oh, okay. It was before it, but it was she was there when when things started to go down, and um, already like she had begun because I was going to her because so yeah I've been dealing with um, you may call it head stuff since I was a kid yeah um, and so I was seeing her for for all that and also um, an incredible nurse practitioner uh, Angela Cerise the, they were like this dream team that handled the therapy and med management and communicated. And it was, it was just, just amazing. Um, but so like I was already in it, I was already in a stronger place psychologically than I had been when that happened. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I was still seeing her at the time, seeing Dr. Rosen, uh, and, and Angela. And, um, it was, she had introduced me to mindfulness pretty early. But, like, that was one of the first real-world situations where I had to get outside of my situation. Yeah. Like, get outside of my own head and just look at how things are from an objective point of view. It was almost like the little things of, like, okay, focus on your breathing, focus on your breathing, you know, think about this, bring it back to the breathing, um, bring it back to the present. It was the first real-world test of that. Right. Where I had to say, okay... I cannot think about if I don't play again or if I do play again. I can't think about that. All I can think about is right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like I was forced to think about recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so much information in the right now that you can actually be occupied. It's sort of like what you said before, the the workout fatigue where you go, I don't have enough energy for existential angst. <laughs> right. I'm tired, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's Um, remarkable that that works. Like if you're starting to feel any strong emotion, if you mm -hmm. switch your attention, not from how it's trying to pull you or where it's trying to pull you to what it literally feels like in the moment, Mm -hmm. you can be like, oh, anger is is making my chest feel tight right now. Interesting. Tightness, tightness, you know, and immediately it starts to subside because you didn't throw more fuel onto that fire, you know? Yeah. Same with panic attacks and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like this weird kind of magic trick that, like, um, every time you have something like, like you said, panic attack or, or anxiety attack or anything like that, where your brain doesn't immediately go to, I am having an anxiety attack. It goes to, we're anxious. Like, I'm mm-hmm. anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. You don't, it's, and I'm assuming that's just something that takes practice. And I've really fallen off the mindfulness wagon in the past couple of years. But, yeah. um, it's hard to stay on it. Like mm-hmm. I love how meditation has changed me. And just the other day, so I've been using Sam Harris's meditation app. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, it's called Waking Up. Highly suggest it. But he had a feature on it for the first two years that was a, a streak, a meditation streak, and it sort of kept track of your days. And I always I meditate very regularly, but I would miss a day here and there. So I would get it at most to like eight, nine days in a row. And then I would lose the streak. And I always had this idea that like, if I get the number high enough, I'll have too much shame to let that go back to zero. So uh, a week and a half ago, I had gotten it up to 14, 15, 16. And it was actually making me meditate each day. 
And then, funny enough, the next update to the app, they got rid of the streak thing because he said, I feel like people are getting the wrong idea of why they should sit down to meditate. Whoa. And I was like, damn. <laughs> he must have used the data directly from my app usage. Because <laughs> I got caught up in like a game of like, I need to do this because of this streak. It's like, no, you need to do it because you want to sit down and just like take care of like yourself. Pause in TV shows and be like, my streak is about to yeah, go Yeah, away. it would be 11.55. I'm like, oh shit, minute. I'll just do one minute, but the streak will continue. <laughs> like, yeah, I was finding a way to cheat like the, the you know, how it tallies, a, a, you know, a streak. Because even if you did one minute, timer of, of mindfulness it counts as as um, my, meditating on that day uh, and so now it, it only has the total meditated minutes on there and it's sort of like so the guilt is not in skipping a day it's not because i ruined a streak it's because i ruined a chance to enjoy that day with more present moment energy you know right right you know it's it's funny you mentioned that i had a very similar situation so um i don't know if you guys use one of these the old apple watch I've never used one, no. Well, it it has these great things, um, these rings that fill up as you move and exercise and then stand. So it tracks like, you know, and it wants, it it basically encourages you to stand up. I think it's like for a minute uh, out of 12 hours in the day so that you're not sedentary for a lot of time. And it tracks, you know, how many, uh, how many calories you burn by movement and that's your move ring. And then when you do exercise specifically, it fills up the exercise ring. So I got to a point where I was on a 97 day move streak uh-huh. mm-hmm. where I've like closed that ring, burned like the thousand excess calories for 97 days in a row. And it got to the point where kind of like how you say it'd be 1155, it'd be like 11 o'clock. And I would see that I was maybe like, you know, 60 calories short or something. I would go yeah. out for a walk or something like that. Yeah. So in addition to that, making me being the weirdo that was out walking around the neighborhood at 11 o'clock at night or 1130 at night, um, it was messing with my sleep mm-hmm. and it was not good. So there's one day where I was about 20 calories from closing it and I let it lapse. <laughs> you so, failure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know, the, the need to, I feel like I had to go like self flagellate or something right. to punish myself. Um, but yeah, I, I get it. Just, I realized I was just obsessed with it. I was obsessed with closing a ring Mm-hmm. It's funny that even if the mission is one thing when you start it, right? Like to be healthier or to to be mentally healthier with meditating, it, the ego always finds a way to make it about something else. You know? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. It's like no, the journey is not the destination. Yeah. <laughs> the destination is the yeah. yeah. Uh, ready for some bonus questions to finish us off here? Oh yeah, cool. All right. What is something that you've come to really be sure about? You know, the, something, a life principle or something that you feel like it would be like the last thing you could change your mind on? Hmm. Um, could you repeat that? I need more time to think about it, but I don't want there to let there just be something. <laughs> yeah. So something you would be most skeptical towards changing your mind about, something that you feel like, I can't imagine, you know, this life belief changing. Okay, I got it. Um, I believe that I don't know nearly as much as I should. That's mm-hmm. a good one. Yeah. yeah. Can't convince me otherwise. 
<laughs> that's like saying like i believe my, I, I just wrote an article recently saying basically like i think my strongest opinion is that we should all have less opinions fewer <laughs> opinions there though. you go okay <laughs> well on a related note what is something that you'd say you changed your mind on in the last 10 years let's say something i've changed my mind on in the last 10 years um hmm that other people being happy is more important than me being happy. I've changed my mind against that. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I've changed my mind about it about 3,400 times. Because gotcha. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I so keep... if we recorded this tomorrow, it would be a different answer. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like my behavior. Like, okay, sure. my I need to, you know, my one incredible thing that Dr. Rosen said, uh, I have a list of her quotes, but one of them was, you know, um, if you only give, you run out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, then you can't uh, give anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you have to, you know, basically give to yourself by by doing that. So um I always have like these moments where okay, from now on, it's all about me, baby. It's all about <laughs> my I have to be happy first and then but it's like we said in the beginning, you, that is framed with the knowledge that when I'm happy, I can serve others. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the metaphor they use in meditation all the time is that you have to put your own oxygen mask on before helping others. That's like, yeah, great. That's a good one. That's yeah. literally true when you're on a plane, right? Absolutely, <laughs> but absolutely. It totally works. Like, go ahead and just dive into every one of your friends' problems without ever caring about yourself, and you know, see where that goes. <laughs> yeah, I could. I'd, I'd be willing to bet that it doesn't go anywhere good. Yeah. In fact, I know that it doesn't go that way. And one of your friends might be a vampire and like totally be mm-hmm. secretly just sucking your energy instead of trying to get help, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you never absolutely. know. Yeah. Uh, what's a book or movie that you think everyone should definitely read or watch? <laughs> a book or movie that everyone should really watch? Um, let me look at my bookshelf. <laughs> uh... Another way I've asked yeah. that question is sort of like if you were to gift a book to somebody, like what what book would you want to gift to everyone you know if, if you could afford it? Well, I'm going to reference something earlier. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, nice. Um, and the reason why is because like the lesson of that or the many lessons in that book is that um, uh, greatness is not required to do great deeds. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's nice. Absolutely. And, yeah. we, we just rewatched all the Lord of the Rings. So oh, there you go. that stuff is... I love that kind of archetypal life lessons, you know, yeah. where there are, there are sort of like deep truths that we all feel to be true like mm-hmm. that. Like there's a reason why a hobbit is the creature that can take the ring and not yeah. someone like a man, <laughs> right? Yeah, and like the, the strength is in the, the humility and the simplicity of how they view the world. Yeah. Um, and it just takes like the the bravery of one of those people to step outside of where they are comfortable and safe. Yes. Yes. To, yeah. You know, save everything else in existence. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it also shows the the incredible power of uh, friendship. Obviously, like the you know the jo- the people I say like you know Samwise Gamgee. Samwise Gamgee is really the main character, Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. because Frodo would have given up without him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's... um, Yeah. I mean, I think they needed each other for sure. I don't know if Samwise had enough courage by himself, but when he made his mission helping his friend succeed, then he found his courage, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say Lord of the Rings, beginning to end. 
Nice. I actually have not read those books. I started the fellowship and I was in high school and got distracted and never got back to it. Um, but I mean, the movies are amazing for sure. Oh yeah. They feel kind of dated watching it with 2020 eyes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. But, but doesn't mean what they're, what they're saying is not true, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you like most about being a musician? What do you like least about being a musician? The thing I like the most, um, There's the answer that I want to give and the one that's true. I know, I know, I know. These um, questions are tough because you have like the the honesty voice versus the what sounds good voice yeah. as a professional. <laughs> um, the 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 voice. The, the answer I want to say is the ability to positively change other people's life through performance or ex, or teaching. Oh, say it with a bit more um, oomph, and we'll put it on a, a well, promo video. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. The real reason is because I like to feel special. Mm -hmm. I like yeah. to feel like I can do something that most people can't do. It's true. Most people, if you give them a trombone, can't make anything nice come out of it. Nope. And uh, I want to say maybe 30% of the time, I can. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. And the thing that I like the least about it is that, again, with honesty, I feel like... Um, So at the risk of sounding like Rodney Dangerfield, I feel like we don't get enough respect. <laughs> Yanka might not get that joke. It's an old comedian that used yeah. to, his punchline, recurring punchline was, I tell you, I get no respect. I exactly. I get yeah. no respect, no respect. <laughs> but I mean, like, um, yeah. I think that the arts in general are sort of just kind of like hand-waved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people don't realize how crucial it is, even though... We're non-essential. <laughs> right, right. At the moment. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that whole meme going around. I don't mean a literal meme. I mean, like, a cultural meme of, like, oh, like, you know, how important is music when we, when crisis really hits? And I would say more than you think. Mm -hmm. And it might be even more important than having the perfectly balanced diet. Because I just don't know where human beings are capable of going without the, the, the deep stories that we believe in. And those stories are, like, told in music, in mm -hmm. art, in culture, you know? Even something more simple, like how normal it feels when you're hearing music, like coming from like Port Jeff, like it j just things yes. feel normal. Like, you know, people are like we out live... and about again, instead of quiet, like just, the, yeah. yeah. We live in a town where we got used to background noise because there are like bars and, and live music and whatnot. And during the beginning of quarantine, when it was just like dead silent, there was a weird, like, I felt like, you know, I, I just felt uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. And and when that when now there's outdoor seating and outdoor music and everybody has tents up and something just feels like all right people are are going out and even though i'm not a part of it it just feels normal hearing overhearing that sitting at home like my psychology feels like because so i think you know normal. people need that right yeah. if you sure. deprive people of artistic things like and and social things and and art is pretty social i think like you know they they go crazy real fast <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. As you were saying, like you feel like things are, are kind of coming up, coming apart at the seams. Like um, that happens on the personal level. It also happens on the cultural level, like with bigger groups of people. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So screw you, people who think art's not important. Like it's probably more important to you than you realize. You know? Yeah. I mean, like if 
have you ever met some, anybody that says like, well, I don't like visual art. I don't like music. I don't like television. I don't like movies. <laughs> yeah, all of it. I don't do what kind of person would that be? Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Or I hate classical music. But then in the next sentence, they'll say, I loved Lord of the Rings and the soundtrack and everything. It's like you don't get Lord of the Rings soundtrack without the, the, the rich history of classical music leading up to Howard Shore coming up with the orchestration and the, the melodies and stuff. Oh, you yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. It's been yeah. great. It's wonderful to see your your beautiful shiny faces. Well, not Sorry, shiny. I, I think shiny our, in the in the spiritual sense, but yeah. Our, our window be might be blocking us. <laughs> oh no, it's okay. It's, okay. it's great. It's it's very bright, but yeah. <laughs> this is weirdly enough. The our kitchen is the only place to not just sink into a couch while podcasting. Oh yeah. And yeah, so I found right. if I podcast from the couch, my energy just gets like whatever. <laughs> Instead like, of like, you know, I've actually been doing a one hour and forty eight minute squat this whole time. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> CrossFit. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to hit stop, but we could say goodbye off air. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally, please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.